do do what's in your heart. Um, the money will come later. And again, at the end of the day, the money's not the most important thing, but you, you got to want to, life's too short. You got to enjoy what it is you're doing. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Today's episode is sponsored by Secure Title. Secure Title helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Secure Title, S E C U R I T I T L E.com, where security and title come together. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Jed Hannon of Atlantic Coast Engineering LLC. He's a professional engineer. Hey, Jed, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So help me understand, Jed, what would a person need a professional engineer for? Well, there'd be a whole different list of needs of why somebody would need a professional engineer. You have a whole, whole gamut of electrical engineering, mechanical engineering. We specialize in civil and marine engineering uh, for the most part. Uh, we do offer other services, but the bulk of what we do is engineering, surveying, permitting, and construction consulting. And we heavily support the real estate uh, industry in Massachusetts, in particular on the South Shore, whether it's it could be structural inspections for prospective buyers, sellers, if they have concerns on the structural integrity of their, their house, their foundation, the, the footprint it could be you know, a revetment or a seawall on their property that they're worried about. And we also do elevation certificates. We do raise and reconstruct of existing homes uh, in flood-prone areas or in flood zones. So we do work quite a bit with the, the real estate industry in Massachusetts. So if someone were looking to purchase a home, they do a home inspection and the home inspector said, you know, looks good, but I've got some questions. You might want to get a second look at this from a professional engineer. That might be a phone call to you. Yes, exactly. So, uh, yeah, some some of these houses have minor cracks, and you know the inspection goes quick, and we're in and out the door in ten minutes. Uh, and then we've run into other areas areas on properties and houses that have major structural issues, such as you know foundation cracks, deep cracks, and foundation slab issues, uh, settlement issues, sloping floors, significantly sloping floors. And so then, in some of those situations where it's a significant dollar value. We work independently between the buyer and the seller on what a fair number might be in terms of a range to, to hold an escrow to to then fix the issue or issues plural uh, at a later date, but still not hold up the closing process. Got it. What are some of the other uh, examples? I, I heard you say you do marine engineering. What, is, what does that mean? So marine engineering could be um, you know, really anything within the, the waterways uh, footprint, not just along the Atlantic Ocean, for example, but could be a uh, lake area, pond area, uh, river area, do quite a bit of work along the North River. Um, but it could be revetments, it could be piers, it could be uh, piling work for, for houses or, or other structures. Um, so we do the design permitting and the construct, construction consulting in terms of the RFP and then the construction oversight. 
So when you talk about pilings, you're talking about somebody who may be in a flood zone and they need to get up above the level of the floodplain. Yes, exactly. So how does that work? So, you know, they could be, depending on the, the FEMA flood zone, it could be concrete piles, it could be wood piles. Um, you can even put in concrete foundation, but you need flood vents. Um, so really it just comes down to what FEMA flood zone you're in, but you, you basically have to be at least a foot above the FEMA flood zone with all the structural elements in order to be compliant with, with FEMA um, and the firm maps for insurance for flood zones. And when you say you need to be a foot above, so a foot above where FEMA would say the worst case scenario of a storm would flow? Exactly. The 100 year flood. flood zone. And, that, and that would flow under your house. So you'd in essence be sitting on top of the ocean. Exactly. Oh boy. To, to help me understand the process of, of, obtaining a dock in a waterway such as the North River? Sure. So North River is fairly regulated, uh, just like all the other waterways, but they have even a, another level, which is the North River Commission. So the first step really is appearing before the North River Commission with your, your plans on what it is you want to do. And they have a regulation document that, you know, they, they're pretty stringent in, in that you follow. So you, you have to seek approval through them first. Uh, and then they give you their approval or they give you some feedback that you need to address. Um, and then after that, you have to go to the local conservation commission, whether it's, I mean, there's multiple towns along the North River, but whether it be Norwell or Marshfield or Pembroke, you go through the local conservation commission for their approval and they have and their own sort of set of documents. And that's because you're into the, the wetlands, you're into their protected areas. Exactly. They have, they have jurisdiction on, any work proposed within the 100 foot buffer of a wetlands area. And most waterways have a wetlands area that abuts the waterway itself. Exactly. Got it. And so you go to the commission, if there is one, you go to the conservation and you only own up to the land, right? Or how does that work? So in most cases, the homeowner owns to mean low water. Um, and then after that, it's it's typically called waters of the Commonwealth. So Explain what mean low water means for our listeners. So mean low water, AKA low tide. So, you know, when they say low tide, it's the average low tide for that area. And it's, it's based on historical information. And you own up until that point. Correct. And then beyond that, you're going outside of your ownership. So how do you handle that? So almost all the structures we design and permit, we, we stay within the, the waterways regulation. So it's approximately a hundred feet beyond that mean low water that we can operate in. But if we're out of like a state or a federal or town channel that we can still design and permit in, in that area. So there's a fair amount of regulatory stuff involved, but it really depends on how, how many different agencies you're, you're working with. But for a peer, we wanna to try to get the customer out as far as we can into the river so they can use the water as much as possible, if that makes sense. And that is a license to go into the Commonwealth's waterway then? Yes, that's, so that's chapter 91. That's the waterways regulations. And that's a permit you get through DEP. Got it. You want to say that again for purposes of the fire truck? Right. Yeah, you could hear the fire truck going by here at Citroen Harbor. So yeah, chapter 91 is the DEP license for a water dependent structure, such as a pier. So the state allows you to use their waterway outside of your 
ownership. Exactly. Got it. Another question I had for you that comes up a lot in a, re a residential real estate transaction is the order of conditions. You talked about the conservation commission. Can you talk about how that process works and what some folks need to understand about being in wetlands? Sure. So when you go to the conservation commission to seek approval of whatever it is you want to do, whether it's a pool and a patio that's within the hundred foot buffer that the conservation commission has jurisdiction on, or if it's a peer project or anything else, even a shed, for example, on sauna tubes, the local conservation commission issues an order of conditions, which says we hereby approve what you show on the plans. And here's your order of conditions, which are good initially for three years, which you can extend for a few years after if you need to. Once the structure is built, and this is where a lot of folks get caught up, is that they don't do an as-built and a certificate of compliance after to close out the order of conditions. So we see that a fair amount at closings where the titles run and it's not clear and free. We see quite a few situations where the order of conditions was not closed out with an as-built and a certificate of compliance. And so that's that's one of the things that we, we could help with is doing those as built and certificate of compliance, even if we weren't involved with the original design. So that, that's, that comes up quite a bit, as you've seen, Mark. So, so what happens is that the consumer hires their engineer to uh, get approval to start the work. But I think what happens is a lot of them think that that is the approval to complete the work also, right? Correct. Yeah. So it's a two-step process. It's one thing to get the approval to do the work, but then to close out the work, you need what's called the COC, a certificate of compliance that you built what was permitted to build. And oh, by the way, here's the drawing that shows it. It's called an as-built. So a lot of people think that they don't, they're not aware of that step just because they're not in the business. They don't know it. So. And it doesn't appear to be super clear to them. A lot of times when we find that on title, the people are surprised. I went to the hearing. I got approval. But what, what, why, what else do I need to do? Right. It's a lot of people, if you're not working in the, the business and you don't know the steps, there's a lot of steps involved. And so, yeah, the average layman thinks that once you get a permit to proceed with construction, you just build it and that's it until they're going to sell. And it's like, oh yeah, remember the thing you had permitted to, to build? Well, yeah, well, it's the order conditions is still open. We need to make sure you built what you said you were going to build. So we help clear those matters up uh, so that, you know, folks can proceed with their real estate uh, transactions. So folks, if you live on or near wetlands, pay very close attention to that process, the Conservation Commission, and how the orders of condition are simply a, an approval to start, but you need to actually close that out. And, and Jed and his team have helped us when we've opened uh, titles and, and looked and saw those as outstanding many times. Jed, how did, you, how did you get into the business? How does that work? How does someone become an engineer? So I started as a young kid, actually. My dad uh, had Mayflower Engineering. I uh, grew up in Duxbury. So I was probably, I was young. I was probably eight, eight, nine years old. I used to go out working with them on the weekends throughout the South Shore. There, we grew up, I grew up near the water. So I think, I feel as though I have salt water in my veins. Huh. I don't think I'd want to live in like the mid Midwest being landlocked. Although I do love lakes. But no, I, yeah, I grew up near the water, worked with my dad quite a bit on projects out in the field, doing surveying work and peer projects. And so, you know, I ended up going to Northeastern and did undergrad there and then grad school as well. After college, I worked in the heavy construction industry on big bridge projects 
out in California on the big dig. And, and then, so I started Atlantic coast engineering five years ago, really just wanting to serve the people of the South shore and just kind of scale down the, um, from the huge projects and just help people out. And I think my, my blood pressure is just lower, just working on the South shore and not in an urban environment. And, uh, really kind of doing what I, I like doing. At the end of the day, if you like what you do, it, it makes life more enjoyable. So yeah, I appreciate it. And, you know, like working near the water and in the marine and civil engineering industry. And, but also we're a service provider, right? We, we help real estate folks, we help contractors, we help homeowners. So we're really a service provider. And again, you couldn't tell I like working by the water. So you, you talk about all these different people that you work with, who is your ideal referral partner, right? The end consumer may not know what an order of condition is. They may not know that they need a professional engineer. Who are the folks that are referring you most of your business? So a fair amount of real estate industry folks reach out just from, from networking and, and working in town and working on the South Shore. Done a fair amount of work for, for Jay Cashman and, and some of his, his folks up in Quincy. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the projects we do are, are through referrals or you know friends or family referring us. So I'd say that's, that's probably the bulk of it. Got it. And so help me understand some of that service. So obviously you, you go on site, you do the surveying, you do the engineering. Are you also presenting at these, these boards in the, in the local towns? Yeah, exactly. So uh, I try to delegate as much as possible. I have a couple surveyors that work for us um, that do the existing conditions plans. Um, and then I have a, a team that, does a lot of the admin paperwork to submit what it is that we need to for the agency we're dealing with. And then, yeah, I generally handle the presentations. Unless we're working with an architect, we'll kind of work hand in hand. But for the most part, I, I do the presentations. And how does that go? Can generally, you, <laughs> you know, with, a, with a, trying to keep it humble. Uh, yeah, generally it goes pretty well. I mean, some of the commissions are more difficult than others. I'll, I'll be polite and not name, name any, but yeah. Uh, yeah, generally 90 plus percent of the time it goes, it goes fine. I mean, sometimes you're, you're, we're done in one try. Other times it's two or three. In some cases it's gone more than that, but the, at the end of the day, you just remain polite and tactful and, uh, and work through the issues of whatever the commission's bringing up or the, the board you're working with and just try to work through the issues. Cause there's always issues. You just try to resolve them. Right. But you're not ever looking for outrageous requests. Most of what you're requesting, you're prepared and it should be relatively matter of fact. It should be. I mean, a lot, sometimes there's interpretation challenges and concerns that board members bring up. But uh, for, for the most part, yeah, we try to operate within the regulations and mitigate anything that's, you know, maybe slightly controversial. Now, you mentioned that, you know, you really enjoy doing what you do. What do you enjoy most about what you do? Going out and meeting with, with customers and uh, not just initially meeting with them and hopefully working with them on the contract, but when, it, when it's the end of the project and it's actually built, because we really handle it almost really cradle to grave from, from its infancy through design and permitting and then through the phases of the construction. We're not, we don't actually do the construction, but we work with the owner and the contractor doing the work. And then we, we help close out the project with the as built and the certificate of compliance. So 
I think it's the initial infancy of the project. And then at the end, when it's, when it's built, um, there's some gratification there, knowing that we were, you know, very much involved with getting done whatever the client needed done. So it's the people interface and the, and the success that brings you the most satisfaction. Yeah, exactly. How about COVID? Has that affected your business in any way, positive or negative? Ironically, it has impacted the business in a positive way. Last year, we pretty much doubled our volume, I think largely attributed to the residential market. A lot of folks are at home and just kind of wanted to improve the footprint that they they live in, that they operate in, right? COVID put put all of us in a unique situation. And yeah, for those, those families and, and uh, you know, residents that we're fortunate enough to have the money to spend. A lot of them were spending. And so, yeah, our volume increased significantly last year. And uh, so COVID impacted us in a good way, unlike some of the other, you know, businesses and, and people out there. How about practically speaking? What Did you find yourself uh, challenged to meet with people or the boards or anything like that? So really, you know, it's kind of boilerplate to say it, but it's true. We followed the CDC guidelines We'd wear masks to meetings. Um, although when, you know, if it was, if I was going out there, I'd initially not have the mask on, but when, when I get in within six or eight feet, I'd put the mask on, but I'd like people to see me before I put the mask on kind of, you know, in the incognito. And so, yeah, we'd have our meetings just like at any other time, um, discuss the, the details. And so that was kind of status quo other than the masks. And then in terms of the the board meetings, everything like we're doing, everything went Zoom and there was a bit of a delay. So there were, there were definitely delays because town halls were shut down and um, some of the state agencies for a while, but eventually they all kind of got on board with Zoom and other platforms. And so meetings were conducted remote because the state passed legislation, which authorized it. So yeah, we've all been kind of keeping our business going and there's definitely some delays, but thankfully for technology, it's, it's helped continue the, the flow of business, if you will. So the flow of business has continued and that, and that's nice, but t t share with us the differences presenting live versus presenting on zoom in a municipal meeting. Sure. So when you present to the public, I think there's pros and cons. There's the, the pros is that you're there, you're live, you know, it's more tangible. You can talk about the issues and, and point at stuff and, you know, you, you can try to resolve it you know, sort of real time physically there. That's some of the pros. There are cons to meeting in the public platform in person. I've found that with this last year of COVID that whereas in the past you meet in the public, meetings get really, really drawn out and um, it offers the opportunity for butters to physically show up and um, voice opposition or assurance or approval of a project. With Zoom or other platform technologies, it honestly has made the approval process smoother, faster. Some of the abutters don't even know how to get onto the Zoom or get into the meeting. So it's actually been, in my opinion, more advantageous. Things have operated more smoothly. I think it saved everybody man hours across the board. You don't have to commute. You don't have to wait on delayed meetings or, or other issues. Um, so really, I think it's, although it's a technology investment that had to be made for that municipality or that individual, it's made things a lot more efficient, in my opinion. It'll be interesting to see post-COVID whether some of those towns continue to allow folks to present through Zoom versus live. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Certainly will cost the client less, right? I mean, if you're not spending time traveling and 
sitting and waiting, um, you certainly, we can pass that on to the consumer, which is always a bonus. Absolutely. So if you're talking to a, a young person in college um, looking to get into the business, what, what advice would you give them and, and, um, and, and what kind of support would you give them? The guidance I would give them is try to find what you're passionate about, what you enjoy doing. It's one thing to go after money, right? You know, a, a profession where you can make X amount of dollars and that's one way to do it. But, you know, you got to want to, you got to want to get out of bed and you got to want to do that work money aside. And, and so, you know, I would encourage, you know, follow your passion, you know, get, get the experience you need, get whatever education you need and licensure. And then when you know what your passion is, some people may know, you know, middle school, high school, but some people may not know or um, be in a position to do it um, financially till later. But at the end of the day, I'd follow, follow your passion and do, do what's in your heart. Um, the money will come later. And again, at the end of the day, the money's not the most important thing, but you, you got to want to, life's too short. You got to enjoy what it is you're doing work-wise and, and the rest of your, your, your time available. Is it important to um, apprentice or mentor with other professionals, or is this something you could break out of school and hang a shingle? No. So yeah, there, there's definitely a mentorship. Um, in order to get licensure, you have to at least in Massachusetts, you have to work under professional engineer for four years after passing what used to be called the EIT exam and the FE exam. You, you basically take that exam right after college, and then you need four years of applicable uh, design experience working with other professional engineers in order to sit for the board, the state board exam, which is intensive and, and long. It's eight hours, and there's a certain pass rate. So there's definitely a, there's a mentorship program and a licensureship with that. So, you know, some folks, if, if they're on track, you know, late twenties, they should be on track to get their licensure and, um, you know, if they get the entrepreneurial blood in their system, then they're just going to figure out how to, how to make it happen. And, uh, everybody has their own financial situation and it's something that you kind of got to figure out if that's what you want to do. Now you have a young family and you went out on your own five years ago, initially 10 years ago, okay. I had four, four JH LLC. Um, construction engineering consulting. So that was uh, 2011. And I had that for about five years, did well. So I was doing that while working in the for-profit sector for engineering construction companies. And then five years ago, I, I thought the name was kind of bland. And so I started Atlantic Coast Engineering and basically did a name change and kind of a marketing makeover. And so, yeah, we're on year five now and uh, I feel blessed and things are, things are going well and I'm excited and most importantly, enjoying what I'm doing. So how do you enjoy being a business owner as well as an engineer? So I'm sure you can appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, there's a lot going on from, there's the marketing piece, there's the financial piece, there's the proposal writing, there's the meeting with customers and, you know, you only have so much bandwidth and time. And so you need to have team members that you can rely on to, to do some of the work because you can't do everything. And if you're trying to grow, you need to have a, a deeper bench. So it's, it's challenging. But it's exciting. I, I've always been a grinder and enjoy challenging things. Speaking of challenging things, if you're in a room and it's karaoke and you're grabbing the mic, what's your go-to song? It's funny. I, I saw that on your uh, list there. I guess I'll throw it back to Journey, right? Don't stop <laughs> believing. I love it. I love don't it. Stop, don't stop believing. Positivity. You know, there's something to be said, I think, 
some people like Bill Belichick. Some people are like, eh. One thing I like about him is he doesn't get too high on the highs. And he doesn't get too low on the lows. You may see him a little flat, but he kind of operates in that uh, that area. But yeah, don't stop believing. I think just positivity, um, winning attitude, and we're going to succeed attitude. I think that's that's huge. I think it all starts with attitude and the desire to please people and, and get their projects approved. So yeah, don't stop believing. That's the only thing I can think of at this point. That's a that's a that's a tough one, Steve. Uh, it's Steve Perry, right? Is that his name? The from Journey. That's a. Uh... <laughs> think so that's a vocal so we're, we're going to be hosting a uh a uh podcast guest party and you'll be singing don't stop believing uh at, at that party jed the most important question of the entire episode is how do people get in touch with you so we're on the we're on the web you can just look up atlantic coast engineering llc we're out of situate harbor and we have an office at quincy marina bay um but yeah we're on the web it's it's atlantic coast engineering llc.com um, and all our contact info is there so yeah please reach out we'd be happy to help you and uh, we're a service provider we like working with with people and uh, in different companies how about a phone number best number is 617-963-6044 jed atlantic coast engineering thank you for your time thank you for your knowledge i love learning when i talk to folks and i've learned a little bit hopefully our listeners did as well thanks again buddy All right, Mark. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Take care. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.